Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Log Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com. S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events, and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today, I'm really excited to have as my guests, Tessa and Amir. Tessa and Amir host a popular podcast called The Open Nesters, which is about opening to new possibilities rather than feeling empty when the kids leave the nest. They're a wildly creative couple who've been married for 31 years, half of which they've been polyamorous. Their work opens pathways toward exploring physical, spiritual, and intellectual passions and tackles the topic of ageism in our society. Welcome to the show, Tessa and Amir. Thanks for having us, Sumati. We're so excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, it's great to have you. We uh, did a little podcast trade. It was fun being on your podcast and um, wanted to return the favor, so I'm super glad to have you here. Um, So tell us a little bit more about how did you become more playful and creative at this stage of being open nesters? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your story. Well, our story starts a little before our kids left the nest. We have three now adult children, kids, can't call them children anymore, they're young adults, and we always had a passion for just music and dancing, and and actually Amir courted me with mixtapes many years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so the, the very natural journey for us when the kids got a little bit bigger and we had a little more time was to start going back to our passions. Um, I Yeah, true. I, I courted her with, with my voice in my music. And I remember at the time, 30 years ago, I recorded cassettes for her, and I used to send it to her with a very sexy saxophone and, uh, you know, sensual music and, uh, you know, kind of thing that you whisper in somebody's ear late at night. And this mm. is the that they used to record to her. With his voice. Yeah. So I used to, uh, you know, wow. I'm a frustrated DJ, wished that one day uh, be on the air, but we'll talk about that later. But that's how... Um, I courted her, so yes, uh, my passion has always been music, radio, and being on the air. So we, we mm. when the kids got older, we wanted to make more space for me to dance and, and actually do some of the seminars and, and embodiment work that I had been starting to do when I had gone back in my 50, right before I turned 50, for my master's in consciousness and mindfulness and did a lot of work around 
playful dancing movements, mindfulness, and really getting people to kind of get into their bodies to make their choices. And, and so I love dancing and wanted to bring people to our, our space. And Amir also wanted to get back to his – so we made a room where we're actually speaking from, a studio. We created a studio. Yeah, there was – it used to be a cedar closet here in the basement. <laughs> uh, the basement, let me explain to you, it's a really wet basement that you, once you get to the studio, you have to go through nails and cement floor and puddles of uh, wet floors because of the uh, wetlands. We, wetland. live the wetland. we live in the wetlands. So, you know, when all of a sudden you come to this oasis in the corner of the basement that is a totally beautiful studio with equipment and, you know, a place to hang around. So that's how uh, we started. That's become... Uh, they hang around, so if guests comes in, they don't sit in the living room or the kitchen. We take them down to the basement <laughs> and put on music, and then we used to, and then drums started coming in, and we started. My friends and I started dancing outside of the small room, and we had to create a much bigger space. So we created this half of our basement is with epoxy floors that you could dance on, and it's a lounge now. It's a studio. It's a you know, great lit, lit area, and we just have so much fun here. And, of course, the sound system is uh, crafted by your master here to uh, provide the total atmosphere. <laughs> so, Wonderful. yes, we do continue to have fun, but we came back to that as we got closer to being open nesters. So I would say we prepared ourselves, and it's really interesting, even in our podcast journey, we're getting comments and testimonials from people telling us, Thank you for inspiring me now to think ahead of our lives as our kids are getting older rather than just being empty nesters and let it all happen at once. So it's been so much fun to then start to start the podcast, and that's been playful and creative, all those creative outlets. Yeah, it is uh, more like we were dreaming of open nesting before open nesting was an open nesting thing. So now we are actually living the plan that we thought about and that's really it's not like we had a a crafted plan in advance but we knew that once the kids leave the house the playground is just going to get bigger yeah (laughs) what do your kids think of you guys now do they think you're cool or do they roll their eyes For a while they were rolling their eyes, but I would say now they really, really respect and admire us. I mean, we feel it from them. They tell us. So I mean, once in a while we're a little loud. And our, when our son comes home from Boston with his wife, he's like, could you guys lower the music? I mean, you know, he's right <laughs> above the studio. <laughs> yeah. We reversed the role no, that's a time. role reversal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Can you not smoke that stuff now? I mean, it's just, it's just, it sinks the whole house. You know, so... You know, we kind of like, oh, wow. Okay, yeah. So uh, what do our kids think about us? I mean, they got this, the, the, these cool parents that hanging around the basement and play music and uh, have fun. I mean, you know, and they come in and hang around with us. So I think, I think they respect and appreciate their parents somehow. Yeah, we hope That's so. Awesome. We hope we've been, been a, yeah, we hope we can be a role model for them to – always just enjoy their lives because us being more of a mentor or being more of what we want to live rather than being a martyr to them was always our motto. I mean, I would say even when they were younger, we would put a little little uh, something on our door and would say, your hardworking parents are resting or, or having their time now, like taking space. So we've really now really enjoyed this idea of taking space and giving each other space 
which is how we entered more of the open, the polyamorous and open relationship uh, sphere. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like you didn't wait for your kids to be grown before you became polyamorous. Um, is that true? That's absolutely true. Yep. Um, well, I want to hear a little bit about your origin story about opening your marriage, but also I want to talk about um, how so many couples, when they are open nesters, when, they, when their children are grown, they, they feel safer exploring non-monogamy because they aren't worried about, you know, they're, they're, they're not just what their kids will say, but also their kids' friends and, like, the reputation in the community. They just feel more free to explore that part of themselves. So can you talk about your own journey and then what you've seen other people, because I don't have kids, so I want to hear, like, what, what do other people share with you about um, the benefit of being able to open your marriage when your kids are grown? Well, you're right. Uh, we did not uh, wait for the kids to leave the house before we opened our marriage. It was kind of an evolutionary process that we have now reached, you know, a pinnacle into it. And every time we reach a new peak, we think that this is it, but then we reach another peak. But that's (laughs) beside the point. The fact is that uh, our kids didn't know anything about that when uh, we were uh, just opening our relationship. Today, they know exactly what mom and dad doing. Well, they don't ask exactly because yeah. they don't want to know exactly. Right. I mean, we always said, uh, don't ask any question you don't want to hear any answers to. Exactly. So uh, they, 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 they get that. Uh, they know that, you know, we open. <clears throat> we don't uh, walk around with a, with a medal or with a, with a label uh, with, around them. It's not like it's interfering with their life. With the exception of sometimes when we have people that we want to see privately here, we kind of hope that the house is empty. And now when our son is really back a little bit because of COVID, uh, he had to study his uh, last year of master at the house. You know, we kind of like, it's kind of hamper our freedom a little bit. So uh, sometimes we have to tell him, listen, uh, here is a hundred bucks. Go have a dinner and a movie or something and uh, have some fun and come back after midnight. Well, that's part of it, and I, w- I would say that that it's not one. It's never been one way. Now, for us, and with each child, it was different, and also with other people that you were asking about that we've seen that, that became empty open nesters or or were open re- opening their relationship. So I would say that our kids uh, we were 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 knew that we were always kind of just did our own thing, and we were always a little bit different and wacky, whatever they wanted to call it. So I know they didn't have that. You know, sometimes they just didn't question it. I waited for the right time with each of them as they became really in their 20s and adults to have the conversation about it. And the conversations went so well. I mean, we could talk about that further if you'd like. But the, but the question you had about how other people do it, I've seen such a wide spectrum of that. So a lot of people have a really hard time with the idea of it because they have a lot more shame and programming from how they feel about doing it and they only want to do it when they're away or they, or they really want to use a different name or they really want to deny it. And the truth is we're still in a process. We're all in process. So we're, you know, we're figuring out for ourselves how we're coming out to more people, more and more people, even though our family knows and our good friends know, 
we're not trying to announce it and, may, and, and convert anyone. We, we just think that we want to show that this is an important polyamory and any choices that one makes is really about our own choices in life that gives us this freedom to kind of come back to all the things that we've maybe wanted to be in, especially in Act 3, living fully into what's possible. And sometimes we don't know what that is. So I definitely don't think that we knew the end before we had the beginning Correct. and the process started, as Amir was saying. That was well articulated, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an evolving adventure, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Um, well, well tell us how, like, our... back yeah. to, sorry, go ahead. I, I was saying we can't know, you know, what, what awaits. It's really, it's really kind of cool. Just we know when it, when it feels right and it keeps us, a place that our spirit and our aliveness is creating, you know, and that's what you mentioned in the beginning. Like we feel alive from this process. And then I think the people that are closest to us can perhaps be inspired by that, including our kids. Mm-hmm. So you, you opened your relationship like 15 years ago. What, what was going on at that time that made you decide to do that? It was a completely organic. We fell into a process. So one of my, really my best friend from 30 years ago who lives in South Florida was going to nude beaches because I actually told her about, my parents told me that there was a nude beach when I used to go to the hippie beach at Hallover Beach. And she wanted to be at a nude beach with her husband. So I told them, oh, go to the nude beach. And within a few years after that, we were both getting our, our, our bodies back from our, having our children. And she was feeling really sexy and sexual on the beach, and she went to some parties and had talked to, and told me that she had touched women for the first time. It was the first experience of like, dressing up and feeling so sexy again, and I was all ears. And we went to South Florida, not really knowing much more than that, that, that they do that, much more about the parties that they apparently were going to. And they told us to come with them to Trapeze, which is a, a swinger club. So our first introduction was just, a swinger club, but neither of us really jumped into the orgy thing or going to the back room of swinging and, and really never did. Um, what, we, what we liked was feeling the sexy dancing vibe. And so that opened mm-hmm. me up. And what you always, Amir always likes to say, we, I, I got on the dance floor and there were the women you know, picking up my yeah, shirt I mean, and touching me. It, it was, was so uh, fun. It was really um, a, a sight to be seen. And, you know, Tessa, immediately as she walked into the club, few minutes later she's on the dance floor and she's surrounded by women that kind of uh, slowly sensually undressing her and I'm watching and saying what does anybody know does anybody see me or is this just me or anybody and we got exposed to the swinging lifestyle and uh, quickly realized that you know um, uh, we were more swally we like to find our people that we had a relationship with Right. So what they call is, you know, between swinging and poly, pretty much from the start. And so we we started to try. We didn't start meeting people right away. It was a very slow process. It was a few years before we actually even had full sexual encounter. It was much more of a sensual journey for us. And we had to communicate through it and have our, 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 our falls and our starts. And, it, you know, sometimes didn't have the time. So that was just that part of the first many, I'd say, five, four or five years but we did meet a couple within the first few years that was also at a similar point and hadn't done that much when we went to a sexy dance club and we had a lot in common and we felt very attracted to them. As, and, and I started, we each individually, both Amir with her and me with him, 
started really developing love love relationships. Not only love, mm-hmm. but deep lust, I would say as well. Well, for me, and um, it was it was very. We were very connected, uh, two on two, one on two, two on one, and one on one, and it was just a pure love affair uh, between four people that um, you know a few weeks ago did not know that each other exists. We used to call it the legal a legal love affair, and it was very cute because Amir and, and my who's now my current lover still and boyfriend. 13 years later, they used to send each other, we said we'd send pictures and we would make them into these beautiful music and pictures and recordings. It was like it had, it had its own vibe that we had a lot of chemistry, but it had a breakdown because we didn't know what we were doing. And so if I always said that if we knew then what we know today, we would have welcomed the fact that uh, we both feel so connected and so loving to another person, but uh, we were about to go away. And Tessa come to me and says, I don't think that we can go away on this trip to, you know, to this beautiful resort. And when I question her why, she says, I'm falling for him. And I said, you're doing what? I mean, today I said, <laughs> go, girl. But then I said, you're doing what? I mean, you're not supposed to do this because you need to control your feelings. And if you know Tessa, you can control her feelings or her <laughs> sensuality or or her or the way she behaves, or the way she feels about you. If she loves you, she will show it to the whole world without, without, having, without any hesitation. But that was a breakdown in the relationship. It was, uh, we just destroyed, was destroying something very beautiful that till today we remember is one of the nicest relationships we ever had. And it was over all at once. And it was uh, devastating to both of us, but, Luckily for Tessa, uh, somehow, some way, he stayed in touch with her. And today, uh, so many years later, uh, it is still her lover. Yeah, and he's becoming, he's somebody that I, I love deeply, and he's a friend. So it's not just, I mean, that's where we started defining ourselves as polyamorous and realizing that, especially for me, I would say, even earlier on, I really needed, needed to know that that was an okay thing to be. So it was it was it was a beautiful journey. I mean, it's it's still evolving, obviously. So. Well, yeah, you said some really important things there um, because a lot of people do start out with more. I'd say there's more swingers in our culture, our country, or whatever than there are polyamorous people because there's kind of more acceptance um, to be open sexually. But to be open emotionally and to have an open heart with people outside your relationship, there's uh, less acceptance of that, I find, in our culture. And so commonly couples will, you know, become involved with someone else and then they'll say, like, oh, it, it doesn't really mean anything. It didn't mean much. Or even if someone's cheating, you know, they say, oh, it didn't mean anything. And it's like, how is that a badge of honor that you had sex with somebody that meant nothing to you. <laughs> like, why is that something to brag about? You know? So I just like to shift that paradigm. And it, it sounds like you, over time, you did shift that paradigm and you see it now as a good thing. So how did you do that? Like, Amir, you gave the example of your first response was like, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. So how did you gradually come to where you can celebrate Tessa loving someone deeply instead of thinking that it has to just be a meaningless sexual connection? How, how did you do that? That is a loaded question, and I'll try, <laughs> to, and, and I'll, 
and I'll try to uh, break it down um, a little bit. There was no one day that we could look back and say, you know what, that day was the day that we accepted and this month was or this year was. Again, it was a process. And I had to personally overcome uh, jealousy. I had to overcome envy. I had to overcome uh, being alone while Tessa is out. And I had to overcome that. And by, I guess, uh, quote, suffering, unquote, through the process, I was able to mature and understand that actually I love Tessa enough and more than that to allow her to really experience whatever she can possibly can. I always say, you know, if I was unable to provide to her or to do something for her or to have sex with her or to please her, then she should look for it somewhere else. And he does to her something that I cannot do. And mm-hmm. what am I going to do here? Be possessive and say, look, you live without your life without this pleasure that you can actually get from somebody that you know you can get, it is really not fair. It's being uh, selfish and stingy in a way. So I would mm-hmm. love to say mm-hmm. that that's exactly the opposite of Amir. He is the most generous man, and that's why I think I feel so blessed every day that I met a man that, that's so funny, my grandmother used to say, you need to love your husband, the husband you marry, but but make sure he adores you more. It was a very cute thing he used to say. And I don't know. It's not that he adores me more because there are moments we go through waves of who adores each other more. But I definitely feel that this word that we learned in polyamory of compersion, of being happy for someone else's happiness and wanting the best for them, that's brought out for me to want to do that for him even more too. So it was mm-hmm. this process was just a beautiful process that doesn't happen as an automatic I feel like we're lucky that we're both very, we know from now with our work and discussion on podcasts, you know, therapists, that we are both fairly securely attached. And so we didn't Mm -hmm. have a lot, even if we had feelings of jealousy that Amir has had different girlfriends over the years and still has one for the past five years. If we have feelings of jealousy, we still know, okay, it feels funny about that. And what do we do to, I bring a lot of intention and I'm, I'm more of a communicator here to make sure that we give each other the attention and time and love to bring back to bring that that energy back to each other. Yeah, the security is 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 really what it is. When you have secured relationship, that's when it works out. It's not like you sit down and says, "Honey, you know, I heard about this polyamorous thing. You know, do you think that uh, we should try it?" And it's not like uh, going to have a test drive on the, on the new Tesla or uh, going to see this new home that you may want to uh, live on, or let's try this uh, uh, new Vietnamese restaurant that just opened up down the road. This is not just like that. You cannot treat polyamorous or even swinging for that matter. First, you have to know what, is, what you, you want to do about it, and you have to make sure that your relationships are secure. You know, and people mm-hmm. ask me sometimes, well, if you have a loving relationship with your wife, why do you have to go look somewhere else for some more love? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a tough question at times that I struggle to answer, but then I realize that we have so much more love to give and we can mm-hmm. spread it around. I mean, it's almost like if we give it to one person, it's, it's you know, it's not fair. I mean, you, you have more to give to more people and we have also ability to receive for more. 
uh, than one person. So bottom line is, if anybody's out there thinking about, well, gee whiz, let's try this polyamory thing, uh, look, just look at your relationship first. Polyamory or swinging is not going to fix your broken relationship. It's not going to fix your, your, uh, your, your cracked relationship. It is not going to do any of that stuff. In fact, it's going to uh, make the, the tear even, even, even bigger and, and, and more severe. So you've got to really think about how secure you are in your relationship before you even attempt to think about that. And our ability to do what we do today come from that security, come from that mm-hmm. solid, uh, based, uh, great foundation relationship over 30 years. And, you know, mm-hmm. Amir mentioned love, and for me, love is, 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 is an action. So we take action with how we experience love, and it's also kind of like light. It doesn't diminish by, by giving more of it. We grow more. Our heart muscle actually mm-hmm. actually grows. So I, I mm-hmm. love polyamory for that reason. I, I, I understand why some people can't even fathom it or don't have the secure attachment or don't come from the place to be able to experience that. And yet I do believe that most people long for a little more of, of being seen and witnessed so they can show more love. So even if it's with yes. emotionally, like you said, it doesn't have to be with, with friends or just be able to have that space. So the Open Nesters podcast, we talk about that because it's not just about the sexual and full emotional love affair. We talk about all the aspects of bringing space into your life, especially when you have more time in your life. And, you know, I really believe that idea that, that this midlife time brings it with the possibility of a new way to write your life and to write your mm-hmm. act three, we like to call it, if you're willing to. Yeah, and, you know, more right. than ever in act three, during act three, new relation energy is so valuable and so mm-hmm. meaningful and so mm-hmm. important to keep, mm-hmm. uh, vital. To, to keep vital, to keep a 30-year marriage alive and, 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 and flourishing. And that new relationship energy, whether she brings it in, and she feels it, and she brings it into our relationship, or I have it, and I bring it into the relationship. That is a uh, an incredible tool, in not mm-hmm. only tool, but also uh, a state of mind that we bring in that supports uh, everything we do. So when she goes yes. uh, away for a couple of days with her boyfriend and come back rejuvenated, happy, with a smile, where you can almost see that she's coming from love, with, uh, you know, maybe she was uh, rolling in the hay and she has a little bit of a piece of hay left on her, on her hair and she's walking and she has like that step, step in a, you know. Um, bounce in my step, in right, step. exactly. Uh, you know, you know that she, is, she had a good weekend. And if she had a good weekend, you know, I, I'm so happy about that because she brings that yeah. energy back to us. And the yeah. positiveness in in, in the um, the great energy that it's de- de- derived from that weekend is really can last weeks uh, mm-hmm. for us. Well, I just want to so, say that you, you've said you've said so many things here. There's so many things I want to highlight from what you said, um, and I really appreciate you sharing your experience with us here. It's it's just so valuable to learn that you 
um, you know, this was a gradual process of you becoming more secure and being able to have compersion with Tessa Amir to be able to see that her new relationship energy gives to your relationship. Because what I've found is the more you can set your partner free to express themselves in the world, the more they'll want to be with you. Um, as opposed to setting up these rigid controls and agreements and rules, they're just, they're just going to have something to push against, to rebel against. And it's not easy. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that people can do that in the beginning. But sometimes agreements really help our nervous systems, especially those that aren't securely attached. They need, they need those agreements. They need to go slow. But if you can hold the vision that if you can get to a place where you can set your partner free, the irony is that they're less likely to want to leave you because you're, why? There's nothing to leave. You're letting them do whatever they want, right? <laughs> yeah. I would say that there's also this idea of uh, what we have, which I, I, I hate putting terms on us being these primary partners, but because we're together for 30 years and we're nesting partners, it's hard to avoid that because I know that there are people that probably in your audience that are more relationship anarchy or more solo poly or more less hierarchical in their way that they, they, they you know, do poly polyamory. So I do understand um, that, it, that it's not for everyone to have that sense of, but for us, that is what works. It's not, and it does requ- did require agreements. At the beginning, yeah. we had agreements. Right, but let me, let me be very clear. If anybody thinks that uh, polyamory is the freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want it, it's totally wrong. There are boundaries, mm-hmm. there are priorities, and there are rules. And, you know, it is oh, no, not – well, let, me, let me explain. Let me explain. Yeah. It's, it, it is no anarchy here, okay? Uh, when I say rules, it, it is things that we live by. It, it is philosophy that we have adopted that works for us. For example, mm-hmm. uh, we, always, we always have to, and I have to admit that sometimes I do not do that. I have to check before I jump in and try to get a date or try to – um, uh, have an activity for myself, I do not check with Tessa all the time, and that is wrong. I, our calendar has to sync before, I, you know, I have to always say, stop, check with Tessa, see if it's okay, see what she's doing. We always try to have our activities on the same time. If she has a date on a Thursday, then I'll try to have a date on a Thursday. So we don't mm-hmm. take from each other another night. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yes, we have some boundaries that we live by. There's not total anarchy, and maybe the mm-hmm. word rules is too, I guess, strict or sound too restrictive, but there's no anarchy here. There's, there's sincere Well, it just sounds like, you know, you're, you're, being kind, you're being kind to each other. There's kindness. There's respect. Um, there's honoring what you have, and I love how you talked about you – Find out what each other needs and you bring it back to each other to give each other reassurance um, that your commitment matters and that you're not giving up. A lot of people think that if you're polyamorous that you don't value commitment, but I find it to be quite the contrary, that in order to be successful in polyamory, you have to be more committed than than ever before. Um, But before we continue, I just want to say in case people joined us late, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And we are speaking with Tessa and Amir, 
the host of the popular podcast called The Open Nesters. And if you'd like to ask Tessa and Amir any questions, please feel free to call in. You won't interrupt us. You'll be put on hold, and we'll just take your call at the right time. The call-in number is area code 657-383-1132. Again, 657-383-1132. So we were talking about um, the new relationship energy, and I I wanted to mention that um, for people that are thinking about opening their relationship or practicing non-monogamy, that you can still get that, that hormonal high even if you aren't having like a full-on sexual relationship with someone else. Um, Some people call it being monogamish. Um, I've noticed that even just flirting, when I've had relationships where we open it up just to flirting, like just simply flirting, consensual flirting can increase hormones in my body and make me feel beautiful and sexy and want to start wearing lipstick again. You know, (laughs) like like just even that. So it doesn't even have to be the whole enchilada. Like, you can have varying degrees of openness in your relationship. Have you guys played with that over the years? I would say that, yes, there were the first few years for sure when it was really about just feeling the flirtation as being the main part. And then and then the fact that I have the freedom when I go away to be flirty and to feel like it's just fun for me to be who I am in my womanhood and femininity, I don't feel limited to just like I could talk to someone and that or explore my my own you know in, in increasing interest in my bisexuality so it's beautiful to not have uh, the right the sex does not have to be the leading thing I think I think we both because we've so much yeah. trust through this this process have given each other more space for all kinds of relationships yeah and I and I have to admit that that new relationship energy did uh, uh, does magic for me too and yes, although yeah, sometimes I do feel like putting lipstick on too. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is that feeling like, listen, I, I I'm gonna do, I, I I'm good, I, I'm attractive, I'm attractive. Somebody says gave me a compliment. Somebody sent me a nice, beautiful, sexy text right now, and I'm walking into my office. And I'm feeling good, and hey, you know what? I'm in a great mood. That energy is just like feeding into every aspect of your life. And I wanted to mm-hmm. deal with, with something else you said. It's, you said something that we are fulfilling each other needs. Is that what you said, Simity? I was talking about right? um, at, like, at telling each other what you need with regard to having an open relationship. So, for example, I, I tell my clients, you know, when your partner comes back from a date, like what are you going to need around that? Um, do you want to hear the details? Do you not want to hear anything? Do you want something in the middle? Or when they are going on a date, you know, how can, how can you be reassured? Do you need reassurance or not? You know, everyone's different. I had a, a couple I coached where the woman was a dancer like you, Tessa, and she wanted to dance for her husband when he came back from a date she didn't want to talk she just wanted him to watch her to witness her dance so everyone has their own unique way of getting the reconnection and the reassurance that they need to feel that security of the primary relationship that's what i was talking about okay well i wanted to touch about that because although we are aware of each other needs uh we cannot really fulfill each other needs 
because that's why we are uh, polyamorous, because we have mm-hmm. needs that each of us, we aware that we cannot fulfill. For example, mm-hmm. it is having uh, sex outdoors, and mm-hmm. Tessa would be uh, a fan of that. And, you know, I kind of like, I can't really roll in the sand too much, but she does. <laughs> so I know that she needs it, and she can have it, but, you know, please don't make me roll in the sand because, you know, it's like uh, one of those things. So what I'm trying to say is I'm aware of her need, but I really can't really supply it. And, you know, I have some mm-hmm. kinky needs that she knows that I, that I have, and she knows she can't give it to me. So we mm-hmm. really know of each other's needs and aware of it, but fulfilling them is a different story. Well, yeah, and marriage asks so much of us. Our default culture expects us to find this one person who not only is our only lover, but is also our, you know, primary confidant and our best friend and our business partner and our, um, you know, co-parent. And uh, one of my colleagues the other day said that they also have to be your sleeping partner, which is another thing. Like some people don't like sleeping with someone. You know, they might snore. They might, like, I use a lot of pillows when I sleep. I can only sleep with somebody in a king-size bed because I need so many pillows. So, you know, there's so many things that we ask of this one person. So if we can imagine um, spreading that out a little so that we're not so dependent on this person for every aspect of our well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. What I really love about what we talk about with many couples and individuals and experts, and you've been on our show, you're coming up soon on your episode, just this idea that we have to create the lives we want, even if we're in a partnership that we value. So it's really the, that, that concept that we, that we want to rekindle what is the best in us, if, if it was there when we were children, if it was there when we were younger, but it can even be better when we're older. And so I love this idea of how we age with more wisdom, more ability to slow down and pause, more ability to feel what each other needs by being more attuned to it and not having as many as defenses. I mean, it requires work. It doesn't happen overnight, and it's not a smooth path all the time. But I do feel like our, our blessing, and we're certainly not perfect, and we have plenty of fights still and breakdowns that we still have to get through, and, this, and, and I still don't get as much attention as I need, even, the, even in the areas that I know Amir can give me those things. So we, we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have an evolving maturity to discuss and to appreciate what we give each other and what we allow each other to go and find. Right. And, and it's a journey, and it's a journey, and, you know, again, uh, I wish I could be as articulated as Tessa sometime. Uh, I am uh, at all Great. sometimes how she articulates our feelings. Uh, I'm not as good at that, but I have a feeling that she is uh, who she is because of her ability to be so much in touch with her emotion and knowing who she is. And uh, I'm, I'm just sometimes at awe watching her, um, understanding how she feels and being honest with herself and me of what she needs. And that's why she's able to get it because she knows what she needs and she knows how to ask for it whether it's uh, emotionally or sexually. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so you, one of the things that uh, one of the topics that you tackle in your podcast is ageism, and you're really focusing on people who are a little more mature, and you, you call it the third act. So what are some of the things that you've learned in the intersection of aging and polyamory? Intersection. Hmm, that's an interesting question. Well, certainly mm-hmm. I think when people are polyamorous, they are already more open-minded and there's, there's, a, there's a whole different open-heartedness too. So if you put those two things into how they come together and how they converge, it's almost like as I get older and I continue to have love and find new ways to express myself and my love, I think it helps us feel vital and feel like we can, we don't have to define our age. Now, I don't want to say ageless. I used to use the word agelessness, and my, one of my, our experts, Ashton Applewhite, on our podcast discussed this concept with me, and I, age, agelessness is kind of like colorblind. I mean, not quite because I would never, wouldn't want to compare mm-hmm. it that way, but because I don't have that, I didn't have to experience racism. But ageism is everywhere, and if we think, and if we, pretend that it doesn't exist, that we do have this age fullness, which is what Ashton calls it, age fullness, we can come into that I'm so happy with how I am and I can ask for what I want, and it can be with people of any age. So I've actually had experiences with younger men and women because I do feel like I'm not defined by my age, but I embrace the fact that who I am is my age. It's not, it's Mm -hmm. part of me. It's part of me. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I, the right. way ageism can work is that we go through this world with so many anti-aging messages and, 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 and everything, we're diminished because we're getting older as if we're slowing down in a way that could be good to slow down and try other things. So it's all a matter of how we're looking at, at this, this idea of, of how we age in a way that gives us more, just as much vitality, just as many things to be curious about, all of the myths that we really hear in our society that when, a, when older people can't work as well or it's creative, all of it can be totally shattered. And really, except for the small percentage that really is a diminishing percentage of Alzheimer's and dementia in the, in the general percentage, we can stay vital and be even better as we get older if we stay healthy. But even things we have to sometimes temper or we have issues with, it's just about acceptance. And so if we mature and accept, and that's where mindfulness comes in, it gives us the chance to just be on our journey, our individual journey with others, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank and you. I would add to, and if, uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Amir. Uh, and a- ageism was something new to me. Uh, I'm as naive as or, or uh, I, you know, I, never was, I, I, ne- I was not aware that ageism is a thing. And for me to be aware that there is a situation, then find out myself that I'm a, a culprit or a victim of it, has been a tremendous discovery that I'm still going through and I'm still digesting. So uh, I just wanted to add that. Yeah, I think that women feel it a lot more as we age. We um, don't get looked at as often. There's a more visibility that happens, and that can be quite freeing, actually. You know, a lot of it is a par- like choosing to see things as a paradigm shift. Um, one paradigm shift that I've been working on is 
we have such a programming around any sign of aging on our body means that we're less attractive or less sexy. So, and the other cultures are different. They see certain signs of aging as, as more sexy, more desirable. But in our culture, you know, any saggy skin or balding hair or whatever the thing is, you know, that, that shows a sign of aging, we start to feel afraid that we're not going to be wanted and we start looking for products and services that can try to reverse that. So we're trying to like hold on to this younger looking appearance. And I think that we can all help each other in community to shift that and start appreciating each other. Our friends and community of all ages, it doesn't mean that you have to have sex with them necessarily, but you can, you can appreciate each other with their permission. You can say, I have a compliment for you. Are you open to it? And if they say yes, just say, you know, you look really beautiful and I, I really love this thing about you. And really just remind each other that we, that we are still desirable. Um, the other thing that I, I help people with is if you are not in a primary relationship and you are dating and you're polyamorous, um, you get to stop looking for the one. You don't have to find the one. You know, I say go out and look for a few. So you can have, you know, most people usually have time for like two or three relationships. You know, it's hard to have time for more than that. So let's say that you, you know, you have three relationships. They can be of people of all different ages, all different body types, all different backgrounds, races, whatever. Um, The variety of that is so beautiful. And one of them may turn out to be a very, very special connection. But if you're out there looking for the one, you're going to be blind to all these other beautiful experiences. And some of them may have a different body type than you thought you were attracted to because you can actually change who you're attracted to. It is possible. You don't just have this one type that you're stuck with. With a little open-mindedness and practice, you can find people outside Mm -hmm. that range very beautiful and attractive too. Actually, thank you. What you're saying actually... I had a little like, like so resonant in my in my gut because I thought, wow, it's so true. All of us once in a while we say, oh, I'm looking at my skin or I'm looking this way, or especially when I'm in the winter time, I have the doldrums or times that I just feel like the the the, the age shows, and yet that can change too in my own perceptions if I'm open to saying okay, these new wrinkles, they're beautiful. Like the way I look at them can have a whole new meaning. My scars, right. how, can they, how can I embrace those? Those are, those are my war wolves. Those are my journey. That's my journey. And my journey can be so beautiful if, if I accept it first. And that's the thing I sometimes work with women on as well, is that idea of we have the movement in our body, the way we, and even if we can't move fully or we're not dancers, we can all move energy. We can all move vibration. We can all move our voices. We can all move things that can create a change and an openness for us in our space to feel more sensual and vibrant and alive. And so mm-hmm. that, and that can shift, which is what you're saying, the whole perception of a body type or of a type of any kind that we look in the mirror and think has to reflect back what used to be. So I love mm-hmm. what you just said because that's also the way we can view somebody new in our lives. Yeah, starting with ourselves. It's beautiful the way you put that. I love it. Yeah, yeah but you know, we're we're inter we're interconnected. We're we're herd animals, you know, so it's not one or the other. We we can work on our own self love while we're also committed to making our communities 
happier and more beautiful and safer. So we can give to others and we can work on our own self-love at the same time. Both things are true. Both things are true. The paradoxes of life are the most important things I find to embrace. Is when, I, when, when I'm sad and I'm okay with being sad and I allow for the, the dark times to, to allow for the light, you know, life and death, the, par- the real paradoxes of life are really where we live. And we often mm-hmm. just, you know, just sh- we, we, we become very shallow in, in just dealing with our day-to-day rather than really seeing the light. And that's what contemplative practice does, which, I'm, which I've been, you know, developing over the many years for myself in many different ways and help people find theirs. So I think, you know, getting into our bodies is really important and souls. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Amir, uh, you talked about how you appreciate Tessa's articulous articulateness around expressing her feelings and this is something that's fairly common between men and women that women tend to be a little bit better at expressing our feelings and you know we learn at a young age to have relationships with all the girls in school and boys are just out there playing kickball and you know and then not really paying attention to this skill until they're a little older so how have you learned to have better communication as a male you know, later in life. So how do you guys communicate now when you have, when triggers happen or conflicts happen? What have you learned about communication? Well, the, um, you're absolutely right to ask that question because it is a sensitive topic. Uh, I was always the, I don't know, I did not know how to receive, meaning if somebody wants to give me, I'd rather be the giver rather than the receiver at any time of the day. And that mm-hmm. was the beginning of the, well, I don't need it. I, you know, I'd rather just do the, you know, uh, I was about to say massage, but I'm not good at giving it or <laughs> or, 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 or with the intention of doing it. So, But, no, you want tea in bed uh, in the morning? Uh, I'd rather do that for you than you do that for me, type of a deal. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning of really um, – I guess uh, obstructed my uh, emotion and my uh, ability to express what I want and to articulate it because it's easier and more convenient for me to say, let me do it for you rather than you do it for me. And I think that over the past uh, year, uh, specifically since we start talking to experts on our podcast and watching Tessa uh, going through this growth spurt, and I would say growth spurt because I'm at awe at, the, at her mental capacity, at her emotion capacity, and her uh, amore capacity uh, over the past few months since the uh, podcast to watch that and to be in that, I don't want to say shadow, but it is the shadow, is really putting me in a position where, you know what? I can express my need, and she would probably want me to. And then I was able to a little bit more articulate it more and be open about my needs and my emotions. So I think today, specifically, I'm much better than two years ago, even three years ago, and certainly 15 and 20 years ago, where uh, mm-hmm. I did not know. I, I guess watching Tessa has really brought me into um, – emotional maturity, if there's such a thing, to be able mm-hmm. to express my needs. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And thank you for your honesty about that because 
it does, you know, as a woman, I'm 60 years old now and, and I'm continually shocked. I think I first started feeling this way when I started dating men over 50. I was like, wow, there's a real big difference in the maturity level. And now I'm finding, you know, as a 60-year-old, I, I went on a date with someone in their 70s. And I was like, wow, now you really are mature. <laughs> so I was like, men just keep getting more and more emotionally mature the older they get, probably because there's less testosterone running their life and they can actually calm down and, you know, feel something else other well, than sex drive. <laughs> maybe, maybe that has to do with Carl Honore saying the slow, the slow movements and that is the slowing down that really causes that. And now I'm tying that back to ageism. Absolutely. I mean, the slowing down with aging is a beautiful thing, and I do see. My, I do see. I love. I mean, I, I find. I find Amir more attractive, and 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 I love him more now at this stage because of his more vulnerability. And by the way, I, I we did share bringing each other tea for the last ten years or so. Yeah, yeah. On Saturday morning. I was just, just giving an example. Uh, I was just giving an example. I mean, of but course, I you share that. But, but the but the more serious one is that is that when you when I ask you what are your needs and he's still I think trying to figure them out. But I love the mm-hmm. fact that I I want to listen more. We're still not perfect at this. This is a life journey and this is not easy. And yet he's so much more willing. I mean, he's really really willing, and that's what it takes. And I, and I know that the podcast has helped through listening to the interviews and hearing from other perspectives because, you know, women tend to do the work because, like you said, because we're socialized that way. And if we want to ask for what we want, it requires us to actually stand up and not just, you know, be, just take anything and be passive about it. And then there's all kinds of, you know, all the, everything from yoga to mindfulness to retreats were created around women and so we can discuss these things on a deeper level. And, and so him hearing women and men discussing it in the podcast, I, I hear his, his heart opening more to asking mm-hmm. for and listening to what his needs are. So it's an evolving, oh, it's, it's an evolution. It's an evolution. So my last, my last question for you, Amir, is are you still courting Tessa? Um, <laughs> not enough. Not enough. Um, And and I should do it more, and I need to uh, plan more dates rather than the the handful that I do over the year. I need to tell her more how beautiful she is and how sexy she is when she is. It just sometimes I I take it for granted. And Mm -hmm. uh, so to answer your question, not enough. I didn't plant that question, by the way. <laughs> I did not. Tell well, you that talked question. about how you courted you courted her with your mixed tapes in the beginning, and that's so romantic. And I just wondered if there was still, you know, some of that going on. But it's it's beautiful that well, you you have an awareness about it, and that you want that you're still continuing to improve in that area too. So really honest of you. Thank way. you. On occasionally, I have a radio show. Uh, outside the podcast, and occasionally I will send her a song like I just did last week. I sent her a mm. song. I put our wedding song in there, and I just talked oh. to her like uh, she's sitting right in front of me. Uh, so hopefully she will listen to it when the thing's going to air out, and she will say, oh, wow. 
and that will be my way of courting her in a certain way, the way I used to. That's right. That's right, Craig. <laughs> thank you so much. So, so we're out of time, but thank you so much for being with us and sharing so honestly and vulnerably about your relationship. It was so valuable to hear a couple who's been doing this for so long and still happily married. So I really honor you. And I want to give you a couple of minutes to share with our listeners how they can find out more about you and anything that you have to offer them. Well, the most important thing that we're excited about, our passion that we want to be on their journey with us and create community around it is to go to theopennesters.com, theopennesters, that's two ends in the middle and an S at the end, dot com. And we have 18 or 19 podcasts up by now because we've been doing this only during this pandemic time and have so many more in the can that we still have to edit because I've, we've been, I've been producing it and meeting incredible people like Sumedhi. And we love, we love for your comments. We'd love you to join our Facebook group because if, we, if you like this particular podcast and you wanted to ask any questions and you didn't call in, you can go to the Facebook page of The Open Nesters and join and ask questions there. So that's uh, also, we're also doing, if you want to submit your story, if you are at the stage of dreaming of open nesting because you have kids or if you are an open nester and you'd like to submit your story through our website, and there's also a survey there to hear what you, know, what you want to hear. But send us your email, and you will be in our drawing to get an Open Nester T-shirt. So those are the things I would announce. Yeah, Fabulous. Wow. Not only, yeah, the, the Open Nesters is, uh, is a real nice forum, and um, we would like people to comment. We're having 1,500 downloads a week, and that is fantastic. And I want to take this opportunity to thank whoever is listening to us out there from coast to coast. Thank you for making this podcast a true hyper-success and very popular in such a short period of time. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being on, on my radio show. I really appreciate it. And um, good luck with your podcast. May it continue to, to grow far and wide. Thank you so much, Sumati. Thank you so much for having us, and we appreciate the opportunity to. It's actually very therapeutic for, for me is. and Tessa. It's great. It's great. That's great. Okay, you guys, have a good evening. Bye-bye. Join us next week on Leading Edge Love Radio when my guest will be Esther Zazaro from Australia. She is an intimacy and life mentor, calls herself an energy escort and a body whisperer. She is amazing with energy and very confrontative around um, gender roles and stereotypes. So I think you'll find her very fascinating. So please join us next Tuesday, Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Pacific time. 9 p.m. Eastern Time on Leading Edge Love Radio, blogtalkradio.com, also on uh, anywhere that you, that you listen to your podcast. Okay. Good night, everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.